I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudet. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. I have just filmed my absolute favorite conversation in slow-mo. I hosted Astrid Holader, who was the uh, person that reported her brother, who was the uh, biggest crime lead in the Netherlands, uh, so that he was put behind bars. Uh, and her fantastic daughter, uh, Melushka, who uh, basically used her life to advocate freedom and living as you should. Most of the conversation was with Astrid, but a lot of it was around not the story, rather the love, the emotions, the commitment, and the self-development that takes you from a life that is probably the worst start you can ever start in to the life that she has today. Do not miss it. My favorite conversation ever uh, in the history of slow-mo. Thank you for joining me. Did you hear me say that before? I think I say it all the time, but I rarely ever feel it as much as I feel it today. I am the luckiest person you will ever meet. Uh, we just finished 200 episodes of Slow Mo last week. And uh, this week we're uh, recording what I believe is a, a milestone, I think. Um, a moment, not because of the gravity of the story you're about, about to hear, but really because of the spirit of the incredible two women I'm sitting next to. Uh, and I only, I was asking my daughter on the way here, why am I so lucky? Why, why do I get such experiences in life? I don't understand, but I'm not going to jinx it. I'm just going to keep it as it is and enjoy this moment so tremendously. Uh, I am uh, sitting between, on my right-hand side, who you will not see on camera for her safety, uh, Astrid Hulader, who was the sister of uh, one of the most notorious criminal masterminds of, in the history of the Netherlands, who at a point in her life had to choose between her love for her brother and for what's right and just, and decided to basically cooperate uh, to help the police capture him. Uh, in what has been uh, publicized as one of the most important trials, if you want, in modern history, which ended up with uh, Astrid's brother, Vim, uh, going behind bars and uh, going for appeals and so on. And only in the last couple of weeks, in the last few weeks, uh, he was actually sentenced to life in prison. Astrid uh, wrote an incredible book uh, on the topic uh, called Judas. And... Uh, uh, Judas sold 500,000 copies as soon as it came out in the Netherlands, which is quite significant for the size of uh, the Netherlands. And then it was available in English and became an international bestseller so many, in so many places. If you have not read it, what are you doing with your life? You absolutely have to read that story. It is an incredible, not just a biography, but an incredible human story of someone who... Uh, despite everything that did what's right. And on my left is Mayushka, who is 
the incredible daughter uh, who uh, of, of Astrid, who opposite to how Astrid lives today, uh, being uh, in isolation, in hiding, uh, in fear of uh, retaliation uh, by her brother, even though he's behind bars. Uh, Mayushka has a million followers on Instagram. <laughs> uh, she's carved a path through life where she influenced people uh, through first being a, an, an actress, a model, and then now having her own uh, cook, uh, cook, uh, cooking TV show on, uh, on TV, her own magazine, and so on, to live true to themselves, a topic that I believe uh, is probably one of the core elements of this conversation and why I'm so inspired uh, between Astrid and Mayushka. And I uh, have to say, having met them for the first time, um, the spirit of those two women are definitely something that I hope will show in our conversation because I believe these are two women that represent what it is about to find your path through life despite the challenges of how uh, life can be sometimes. When you hear the stories of today, you will realize that your life is not challenging at all. I realize that my life has been easy. And uh, I hope that you, through that reflection, will send your heart to Astrid, to Mayushka, to uh, everyone that will ever be courageous enough to do what those two remarkable women have done for all of us. Thank you both for being here. Thank you, Mo. Thank you for your kind words. It's uh, quite a way to start. And of course, yeah, I completely agree about my mother. She's one of the most strongest persons you will ever meet. <laughs> and uh, Unbelievable human being. Yeah. Well, okay, I'm here. You don't <laughs> see me, but I'm here and they're talking about me. So I have to interfere now because you're, uh, a chain is as strong as it's shackles mm -hmm. so if i didn't have a very strong mother and i wouldn't have had a very strong daughter i could never have done what i chose to do because of course before turning in my brother i asked for permission of my daughter because i knew it would change our lives completely so drastically yeah and i knew that uh because of the history of my brother um uh, I knew that somebody who would testify against him would sign his own death sentence. So um, we were ready to for that to happen, and so I couldn't I couldn't make the decision without her. So that's her strength that she is still supporting me in in this decision. And it, to me, that is amazing because I give her so much. Um, trouble in life and she still loves me so uh, you said you were the happiest person on earth but I think I'm the luckiest person on earth concerning that well I don't see it that way at all of course you know I've I've been I've I've growing up I've always seen this mother that been being so strong she comes from a neighborhood in Amsterdam that's now the posh neighborhood but it used to be the ghetto the Jordan and uh, Le Jardin uh, <laughs> and um, as a girl you were not supposed to go study or work you know the the school of being how to learn to be a good housewife how to cook how to clean that would be the school where you would go to which is a shame that it's not there anymore because some people are 
really it's it's a it's 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 a skill it's a skill you know um but that being the only path for a woman of course is ridiculous so she fought her way out of that uh having a very abusive father uh living a lot on the street doing her homework in public transportation front and back so she would have a quiet place to sit and work oh wow yeah and then um having me at her 19th with a husband who of course was a lot older and who saw somebody who was very fragile and easy to prey on she always looked at the chances she got and the advantages she could take in a way without disrespecting or, or hurting anybody so even in the darkest situation she saw the light but in the meanwhile i always saw her helping always everybody you know if she would have 20 euros extra and somebody needed it even if we could use a new pair of shoes or something she would give it to them because she knows how it is to be poor to it's a struggle and i would always look at it and be like wow so you work you study you have me we have we of course had also the judgment of whole of the netherlands above us over us because our family was national news and is nowadays a little bit less but every day we were on every front paper of the news you know and she became a lawyer but her brother was the biggest criminal in the country so she went under this like big rock all the time that everybody would look at her and be like yeah right what are you coming to? you know you're probably mm -hmm. the voice of the underworld you're mm -hmm. not a lawyer if, mm -hmm. even when she graduated law school they didn't want to give her her graduation because they thought she would be the voice of the criminal people wow. and i remember all these things so vividly and i saw her keep fighting and keep fighting and um but in the meanwhile i also saw her being mentally and sometimes physically abused by her brother and i was like come on mom you know you need to stand up and i felt this urge being a child like you need to write a book and you need to make like and she was like oh sh don't even talk about it you could kill us you know and i'm like oh yeah okay and uh then when she finally found the power to stand up and that was also of course because of all these people already have died but also because it started to threaten the kids my niece and my nephew he said just toss a toy coin and we'll, we'll pick who goes first oh my god and he said to my sister uh, you can flip a coin and then the, the coin decides which child of you goes first your son or your daughter after killing their father and that was the last drop and she finally and I give me goosebumps nowadays she finally found the courage and all that energy to go for it and um doing that wasn't easy because you need to understand we didn't belong to the world above the criminality or in mm. so we weren't home anywhere mm. so the police and they were like scum and doing this where we come from it's your death sentence you're a traitor you, you know you're nothing you're dead you're especially as a woman yeah. so i was when she asked me of course i 
knew it would be very shitty. <laughs> how, how, how old were you, Mishka? Uh, I just had my daughter and I think I was uh, 28, 29. 27, I think. It's yeah. 10 years ago, I think. Yeah. yeah. So, well, that's a summary of uh, what happened. Yeah, that's, that, 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 that's, uh, that, that's a tribute to actually how brave tribute, someone yeah. can be. But can, can I, can, let's introduce for my international listeners who've not been uh, maybe informed of the case. I think everyone in the world knew, know, knows about it. Everyone in the world knows about Judas. Uh, I hope, uh, if you haven't read it, what are you doing with your life? But, uh, you know, but, but, on, but, but so, so Vim, your brother, yes. uh, was made famous by kidnapping Freddy Heineken. Uh, Heineken. Yes. Right? So the richest man in the country at the yes. time. And he actually got away with, I mean, not got away with it. He executed it properly to the point that yes. he was paid a ransom. Exactly. Uh, of like, <clears throat> I think what's now equivalent to like 35,000 euros or 35 million euros or yes. something, right? Yes. Um, and then he got captured, mm -hmm. but not all of the ransom was found. He no. invested like 11 million euros were equivalent to be in the underground, uh, you know, buy a, a good chunk of the red light district, yes. go and, uh, you know, become a rich, um, a rich uh, criminal, if you want. Yes. Uh, when he was released five years later, um, he basically started to continue that career. Yes. And I think the turning point in the story to me was when he attempted several times and then finally succeeded to kill uh, his best friend. Yes. His, companion in the in the original kidnapping and uh, your sister's husband, Kors. Yes. Yeah. C can you tell us a bit about that moment, please? Yes. Um, first of all, it, of course, when uh, it started, it all started out with the kidnapping of Mr. Heineke, mm -hmm. who was my father's boss. Mm. My father worked for Mr. Heineke. And Mr. Heineke was, um, well, known to us. He was not a stranger. Mm. Um, but so my brother decided together with, with four other people among them was Kor to kidnap him. <clears throat> and after his release, they were sentenced to 12 years. And when they were released after nine years, um, we thought it was over. I mean, we thought criminality was over. We thought we would he have, yeah. yeah, I mean, we, that was one of the moments that you, of course, you decide, not really decide, but one of the moments that your brother did something very bad. And we have never expected that. Mm. I mean, I knew he was kind of slippery, but I didn't expect him to do this, not at all, because it was huge in the country. So when we found out he did that, um, everybody was against us. So the whole society, um, because I never was a child that was really with my family. I was kind of the nerdy <laughs> within the family. Mm -hmm. So I read books and I did well in school. So I was mocked by that because yeah. you become a housewife. What's wrong you're not, with you? <laughs> you're, not going to do, you're not going to read a book. What are you doing? Mm -hmm. So they thought I was a stranger within the family. They said they found you on the street and then they left you in with mm -hmm. mom. And so now she's taking care of you. And so I was a bit different. But when that happened, we all grew together in a way that glued us together. You know, it was like nobody liked us except we liked each other. Uh -huh. So that is when things started to grow, and that is what happens. Um, and 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 I'm I'm 
I've read your book, Mo. I've read both books, Logic, and your last book, The Voice in Your Head, which has been speaking to me a lot mm. the past seven years. Um, and what I got out of the book, and what probably all your readers and your listeners will understand, is when you're in such a situation, you condition, mm. you know, the only place you're safe is with your family. This small group of yeah. people that is protecting you. Yeah. You know, you are under attack. So I think I had a reptile brain as large as, <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine. But the only thing we did was defend each other and ourselves against society. So that is how it grew. And then you're going to take on the rules of the family. Yes. And you're going to keep on trying protecting each other. And that is what happened um, all those years that you're going into a direction that you are thinking that everything you do together is normal while it's not really normal. Mm. So then when this happened at a certain moment, I thought we were all happy because we were living well and we were having good context. There were parties that were socializing. I thought we were happy as a family. And then at one point, um, my sister and my uh, brother-in-law and my nephew, who was then two and a half years old, uh, drove into the street in front of the house. And they stood there because my nephew was always listening to a song. And he was standing between the chairs in the back of the car. And he was singing this song. And that's why they sat in the car for a while. And then my sister saw somebody coming. And she said, Cor, what's this? And so somebody ca came towards the window, and then he shot through the window. So he shot through the window to kill my brother-in-law with my sister and my nephew in the car. So my sister, the, the, the scary part of this is that there, were, there is footage of this. If you look up the internet, you could see the whole uh, uh, attempt to liquidate him because mm -hmm. there were cameras or in the street, and they were already doing a police investigation against my brother-in-law. So my sister was um, opening the car, getting out, getting my nephew out of the car, running inside, and my brother-in-law was getting out and was totally, well, disorientated. My mother was looking at the whole thing, and she thought, because my brother-in-law is a very funny guy, she thought he made a joke again. So she came out and she was like, what are you doing? And she saw the whole situation and she ran after the shooter. Mm. Talking about strong women. I mean, she <laughs> ran after the shooter. So <laughs> Should run the other way. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's the first time it happened. And from then on, the whole family that was so connected with one another, because you must imagine that they were in France for many years in prison mm -hmm. for the Heineken kidnap. But everybody went to them every week, twice a week. They went to Paris to visit them, to Paris, to Paris. So everybody supported them. Everybody was kind to them. It was no problem at all. And suddenly this happened and we didn't know where it came from. And then um, at one time, my brother came to me and he said, after this had happened, and he said to me, um, because my, my brother-in-law was in hiding by that because he mm -hmm. thought, who is going to, who, who's yeah, doing this to me? He didn't know. He didn't know. So my brother came to me and he says, I want you to tell me where Cor is. Mm. And I'm like, why? I mean, 
He said, I want you to, to tell me where he is because he made a lot of people angry and he's going to pay for that. And I'm like, but we're family. I mean, we're interconnected. I mean, he's your brother-in-law. He's your best friend. He's my brother. We are all connected. And I'm like, and I got so scared. And from that moment on, and that was in 1996, uh, I knew that my brother was not the, uh, the brother I hoped for. And I clinged on to all my life, mm. having a father that was an alcoholic, abusive. My brother was kind of the only person I thought maybe that's what a man should be like. Although he hit his wives, he hits, you know, he did everything he can, but still he was my brother. And then it started and it never, ha never uh, stopped. And uh, through this whole period of time until 2012, when my first attempt came to get him imprisoned, until now, um, well, he is the main part of my life. It's, it's quite difficult to understand because, first of all, society puts you in that corner where family becomes everything to you. Mm -hmm. And then that family itself is now becoming questionable because part of the family is trying to kill the other part of the family. Yes. And now you're in that place where you're, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to reconcile what you feel inside. Yes. Like, do, do I love my brother because he's the only support that I want or that I have? Or do I want to take him away because he turns against the people that he loves mm -hmm. and he is violent and and killing people? Mm -hmm. Or do I do both? And I think that's a very, very, very unusual emotional place to be. Yes. Where you love someone, but at the same time, you want to put them behind bars. Yes. How, how does that work? I don't think it works because um, it's, it's a situation in which um, every day you're in survival mode because every day requires creativity to get through the day in a sense that you can still be at peace with yourself. Mm. You know, I didn't want to choose between my brother-in-law and my brother. I didn't want to uh, betray my brother. Uh, I didn't want to kill my brother. I, I didn't want to have him killed. I didn't want him to go to prison because I knew what that was and how my mother hated that and how it all affected the family. So I wanted to keep him safe. But in the same time, I wanted to keep my brother-in-law safe and the rest of my family because it was not just my brother-in-law. It was also my sister and my nephew and my niece. Mm -hmm. Because the time that he started to come to me, when my brother-in-law was still alive, he made me, he tried to make me uh, uh, tell him where my brother-in-law is so he could kill him by telling me that if I wouldn't tell him where he was, then he would make sure that he would um, shoot a missile he was very good with arms, so he knew a lot and he could get his hands on anything. He would shoot a missile into the house of my sister and that it would not just be my brother-in-law, but it would also be my sister and my nephew and my niece. And if that had to happen, it was my responsibility. Mm. So he played with my mind. He made me responsible for a situation that I was not responsible for, but immediately felt responsible for. Mm. Because what? If I'm not betraying my brother-in-law, I might kill the, all nice. the rest of them. So 
it is not even choosing between him or my brother-in-law. He made me choose between him and everybody else. So this complex thing going around in your head all the time doesn't make you alive. It makes you um, survive. That's the only thing I can remember of that period is surviving. And the only uh, moments that I could be calm was when I was playing basketball. It's something you describe <laughs> in your book when you're in flow. Mm. You know, the only thing I had was this ball. And when I touched the ball, I was at ease. And I mm. still have it. You mm. know, when I touch the ball, I feel good. I feel at peace. I know my brain can come to slow down. And I would just have to focus on this thing in my hand. Mm. So that was probably, and I, I did that very intensively uh, throughout my youth and throughout adulthood. So that was, those were the periods that I could just be at ease for a time. But so it went on, it went on. And he, um, meanwhile, he was killing other people and telling me about it. And I was like, and I, and meanwhile, I became a lawyer. So I also a understood the lawyer. system. Yeah. yeah, a criminal lawyer, because that was the only thing I could do. Nobody else wanted me. The only people that uh, wanted to talk to me were criminals. Uh, and that is something I could do good because I you could relate to them. Word, yes, yeah. I could relate to their mother. I could relate to their daughters. I could relate to... So I had a really extended family with all my clients who were in the same position as my brother. So I knew that. But I also saw how the judicial system worked. And it taught me even more about what is good and what is bad. In the beginning, I... A lot of things that I thought were normal were not normal. <laughs> the first thing I went to my therapist mm. and I would tell her about me beating somebody up, I'd smile. Mm. And she was like, but you're smiling. And I'm like, yeah, of course, mm -hmm. I'm the winner. But she's, it's not normal. And I went to her because I wanted to learn what was normal. Wow. I didn't know what was normal. And I had Milushka. And the only thing I knew is was I... Uh, I should not repeat the things my parents did. And I love my mother dearly. Um, she's my greatest example uh, for the way she could, could accept life as it is. Uh, but it took me a long time to get there to <laughs> uh, value her on that. But meantime, I mean, when I had Mill, I knew I was aggressive. I was a very aggressive person. You don't come across that way at all. You come across as an angel. Yes, but I'm 57 now, 56 or 57. I always forget. Mm. <laughs> 56. Somewhere around that. 56. Um, if, if you ever forget, it's 56. It's, it's, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I was very aggressive. So I was, um, yeah, I didn't want to ha have uh, anger issues with a baby in my arms, you know? So she was my motivation to immediately start therapy, which was something nobody did in my family because if you were going to see a therapist, you're a nutcase. <laughs> so, but that was the best investment I could do in my life because for more over 30 years, I still have the same therapist. Mm. I think we grew up together <laughs> and um, she was like my life coach and she taught me how to react in certain situations and without her I don't think I could have coped so well. But the thing is, I started therapy when she was born. And then I tried not to be aggressive. And I tried. She taught me what was normal. Because a lot of things 
I didn't know it was normal. Did, did you ever feel that your mother was not normal? Well, there's there's different types of aggression and I have a great deal of respect for my mom, but certain things, of course, you it's really hard to get out of your system. So she uh, never abused me in the way uh, she was abused, but she she can tick, you know, when it's... And if you're under the pressure my mom was under all these yeah, years, it's... Everyone would. Everybody yeah, would everyone tick. would flip, yeah. And if... It, it gave me sometimes a feeling of unsafety, but mostly a feeling of safety because if I knew if anybody would fuck with me, she would come, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah. It also made me think of saying... My not mom is say, a bully. <laughs> yeah, even if saying... Sometimes I wouldn't say stuff, you know? Mm. It's like, if I would say this, or this person is... Uh, so, um, but it was the only way I could communicate. This was mm. the only thing I learned. I was a child of a father that abused us since day one. I mm. mean, my, my father was an alcoholic. Besides that, he was crazy. So I think he had a, a mental illness, which I couldn't understand at that time. But when I started working with mental ill people as a lawyer, uh, I recognized so many things my father yeah. had. So he probably was a mentally ill person, but he took it out on us. So he... He beat us up all the time. He beat us, my mom up. He beat us up. And there was a constant terror in the family, constant terror. It was a hell house mm. that everything you're doing, you could never predict what you did. Like if I would just put my hand here, it was enough reason to beat you up. So mm. you could never predict what would happen in the house. So you had no certainty in life. And that was something that really made me not understand what is normal. When mm. do you act that it's accepted as being good or bad but mm. so so I, I think you overcompensated a lot all in, as well in life you know being extra polite being extra yeah. nice and because you're afraid that you're you will be turned down or being doing something that's not right and to me growing up and seeing sometimes people respond to like Normal things, so workers in the garden, a, a gardener, you know. I'm like, oh, how can you say that? He's not doing his job right. That's so unkind and, you know. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's because we come from that very dark place. And my mom way more, of course, from the very dark place that if you have like a remark on somebody's behavior or you could provoke a certain thing. Yeah. You, you want to make sure that you're always in the safest possible place. In the safest possible place. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And and I think my mom did really well of in creating an environment for me uh, as safe as possible. But what your dad did, your brother did as well. You never knew when he would ring the bell and when you had to come downstairs or, you know. And one of the things my mom really taught me from being a small kid was if he or others are here, make sure... You're as invisible as possible. Mm. You know, don't Be get safe. Out. Yeah. Yeah. hide. Get hide, hide, yeah. hide. Mm. and uh, and uh, on the one hand, I'm very grateful. On the other hand, I felt very powerless sometimes, and uh, I I felt when when you had to go walk outside because that was his thing. Walk outside and in the middle of the night and have conversations. I was always scared that she would do this one thing to take him off and that she wouldn't come back you know as a child that would still that was something that would haunt me mm. but um 
I think she did a remarkable job if you know where she comes from going into therapy and she told me this story going to university therapist and she said, well, I would like to go in therapy and I have this uh, story. And he said, well, tell me about your story. And she said, well, uh, this is my household and this is what happened. And he said, sorry, ma'am, that's not what we do here. You need to wow. find another therapist. It sounds like World War True trauma, trauma, you know, like PTSD. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she was like, oh, "Okay, where the fuck do I need to go then?" Mm. <laughs> it was looking. It was looking. Yeah, it's it's because it was such a complex problem mm. with society, with my brother, with my father, with that. It took a lot of time, and they didn't have the time for that. So, mm. and it took a lot of time. But it's to me, it's like. Um, what we say to each other normally is that people don't change. And that was why your book was an eye-opener to me. Uh, your last book, The Voice in Your Head, The Little Voice in Your Head. Because that's where I found that people can change. Absolutely. And um, I didn't believe that for very long. Because um, I heard so many times that people would change. You know, the first time we fled with my mother, I was 13 years old. Mm. And... Uh, I was the first one in my family to stood up against my father because he was beating up my mother. And I had witnessed it so many times. He would beat up my sister. I would beat up, especially the women, in fact, and my brother, my oldest brother, not my other brother, but my oldest brother. So, and I couldn't, I couldn't take it anymore. It was just a feeling I couldn't take it. I just thought it, it had to stop because uh, maybe a few years before that, I was with a friend. And that is how you can see how we are conditioned. Mm. I was with a friend and I was about nine years old or something. And she said, my father's coming home. And I was like, a father is coming home? <laughs> are you serious? And it was in the afternoon and I was like, I'm going to hide. Mm. So I literally started running around the room mm. looking for a place to hide. And she was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I have to be safe. Mm. So... I, I think you probably think, oh, you're reptile brain or whatever. You can probably explain why I was doing that. I was doing that. So when I, um, when I then, maybe should throw my bag out because I hear it's it okay. all the time. No. <laughs> I was running around the room and I'm looking for a place to hide. And then this father came in and he kissed his kids. And I was like, whoa, what's this? And I couldn't believe, this was the first time in my whole life I saw a father that was kind to his kids. I never saw a father do that before. At nine. At nine, yes. And, but that doesn't. But that that's and, and definitely not sufficient to change your perception of life because it's one instance that contradicts the norm. But your norm is constant violence, constant. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. But then I did understand that it could be different. Mm. This was not necessary. And then, because I was a curious kid, and um, I knew it wasn't normal anymore. So with that happening, something triggered my brain and I was like, no, I'm not accepting this anymore. I don't want him to beat up my mother. I don't want him. So I tried to um, find a way to get out and nobody wanted to come because I thought if we would stand up together as a family against him, we would be strong enough to leave. But everyone was scared. Everyone was so scared. My brother was two, two meters, like my brother's a big guy, mm. a really big guy. Mm. Everybody left, but nobody left together. And I was so disappointed. So at mm. one point, my father was taking the head of my sister and he was banging it on a, a marble plate. Oh my God. And I was like, because that was the type of violence that was going on in our family. So I was, I was 
diving on his arms, tearing him off together with my mom. And then I stood in front of him and I said, I just asked him one simple question. Why are you doing this? We are doing everything you want. Why are you doing this? And he would beat me in the face, but I wouldn't feel anything because I knew at these times I had no feeling. You know, I had no reaction of pain. So he could beat me up as much as he wanted, but I was numb. So he beat me in my face and he beat me on my arms. He beat me everywhere. And he said, he told me to leave the house. By that time I was 13. So I left the house and nobody went with me. And I was like, are you, are you leaving me? I mean, is this mm. not knowing? My mother couldn't leave because she had no money. She had no house. She had no place to go. She had not a good relationship with her mother. So she couldn't go away. And when she could finally, she went with me. So I was already there. I was gone. I lived with a friend. And she organized the house and then I, we could live together again. But then she said, I'm going back. Because he said he's going to change. So these words to mm. me, if you're telling me I'm going to change, I'm like, no way. He doesn't. No way. Because Nobody does. when we yeah. went back, I was like, he had it all on me because I was the reason, not mm. he, I was the reason that his wife left him. So from then on, if you would tell me somebody could change, no way. I didn't, I didn't believe it. My brother has the chance to change so many times. When he came out of prison the first time, he went back to prison again because he uh, did the same thing like he did with Heineke, but then in a very, well, tactical manner. So mm. he didn't take people from the street, but he just did the same thing. He made them pay for... Uh, blackmail. Yeah, blackmail. Yeah, like a career. Yeah. So he went in prison again. He didn't learn anything. He didn't change. And then he w did it again when he got out of that. So change to me was like, mm, forget about it. But you changed. I don't think I ever changed. I think I always was the same, but my behavior was uh, triggered by circumstances that um, when they changed, uh, became better. So my you, you, my... you you moved from fear to fearlessness. I think that is what... what I think that is it. I'm, and it's not really true because, of course, I'm afraid all the time. You know, I'm so afraid that I don't go... Uh, public. I'm so afraid that I'm sitting here with a cam, w w uh, uh, not being in front of the camera, but behind the camera, because I'm afraid to die. And also, the decisions that you made sometimes came from fear. For example, my mom is one of the greatest persons who always chose to save everybody and to help help everybody. And this is a big thing with her relationship with her sister as well. So she. We as a family are are very close. Mm -hmm. So my niece and my nephew are like your like children, children as well. Of course. So when it came to that, of course, this little voice in your head was saying all the time, I need to do something. I need to do something. But the push of the fear of something happening to them was the trigger, trigger to, to really yeah. take action. So fear is not always a bad thing, I think. No, I, so, so the way I see it is interesting. I think if you compare to those who uh, have a brother that tickles them, okay? My my brother used to tickle. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, sounds so her harmonious. Come on, thank you very much. But he would tickle me to the point where I can't breathe. Mm -hmm. Right? Okay, not nice. But but <laughs> not nothing, nothing, nothing compared to what you've gone through. 
Do you understand? Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I feared when he came with his finger moving, like I didn't want yeah, that yeah, feeling, yeah, yeah. but it's nothing compared to what you've gone through. And, and you are able to use that fear to say, I think, I think there was, at least that's the way I read the story. There was a point where you would say, I'm afraid anyway, mm -hmm. so I might as well do the right thing. Mm -hmm. That's incredible courage. Because, because that moment basically says, I have agency. I'm going to even hurt myself, but I'm going to do something about it. Do something about it. I don't know if, if you recognize how incredibly powerful that is. Because I think everyone in, you know, listening to us will have some story that they need to do something about. Mm -hmm. But they're not because the fear is, you know, freezing them. In, in their place, you did something that's, mm -hmm. that's so incredibly courageous. Well, I think that the choice of doing something, as Mel said, is also um, because of the fact that he at uh, first it started out uh, by knowing that he, he, he was trying to kill other people already. Again, he had a list of people that he was going to kill. And I'm like, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. But now I know I cannot do nothing. You know, yeah, as soon as you know, you have to do something. But my my advantage was that I was by that time already raised up in the judicial system. I knew that um, certain evidence would help you. Certain evidence would help me, but also that there was not just you know before every police officer, every uh, officer of justice, and every judge was our enemy. But I learned because of my profession, that that was not the case. Those were those people that were trying to do well for society. I mean, I was like learning from them how to do well for society too. So they gave me a new set of rules, a set of standards that I thought, well, maybe, of course, there are some of them that are not so good and that are always corrupt because that's what I also saw when I was growing up. But there are also some that are really good and just are willing to spend their time on, um, well, picking up criminals, people who want bad with society. So I was like, you know, maybe I can learn to trust one of them and then maybe this will work out. But that was not that easy because I wanted to trust them, but they didn't trust me. Mm. They were like, oh, no, you are... Like you're, the, you're, you're evil. You're yeah. evil. You're from that family. Oh, no, we're not going to, we don't even want to speak to you. But there's always someone. And I had that someone in uh, Mrs. Uh, her, her first name is Betty. And um, she did, she made a wise decision. The first conversation I ever had with the police was she sent me two women. Mm. And that, I think that was, a very smart choice because if I would have been with two men, with the history of men yeah, in my family, with, with the trauma. I don't think I don't think I I would have said anything. So it had to be like it had to be. I mean, everything came together. So when we started this, it was a journey, but was also inevitable because after the first attempt, the forcing of me telling him where my brother-in-law was, we had a second attempt. And the second attempt was in front of the house of my sister again. And my brother-in-law also survived that. And then the situation turned even worse. 
And then we had the third, and that was in 2003, when my brother-in-law finally died. And then the moment he would sit with us on the couch the day that it happened, and he would, I was sitting with my sister, we were both sitting on the couch. He was sitting in the middle of them, he came to sit in the middle of us, and he was laying in our, her, his arms around us, and he was kind of crying. And my sister and I were looking at each other, and we know he, you killed him. We know you did mm. it. We know you did Did it. you say it out loud? No, no, no. no. The, the, yeah. Fear. I mean, fear for your children, fear for everyone. We couldn't say anything out of fear. I mean, we were afraid that, that we, we didn't even dare to think of it because we were so afraid that he would kill us. We had children that were young. It's not... Okay, you could say it's brave to do that, but I waited a long time. I didn't want my child to, to be without a mother. So there's always a time and a place, but there's been many times I should have done or could have done something, but I didn't. So, I mean, is it brave? I think it's always getting to a point in which you cannot look in the mirror anymore and have to, have to do something. So, so, so let's agree a couple of rules. Yes. When you don't remember if it's 56 or 57, it's 56. And okay. you're, and you're the bravest person I have ever in my life ever met. Okay, thank ever. you. Okay. okay. Now, if, you, if you insist, okay. It is, but I, I don't I, feel it. I mean, I, I don't feel it. I don't, I don't feel that I'm making a difference to the world either. Oh my God. Okay, now I understand. Okay. And, uh, you know, I feel, I, th I, I think the, the, the interesting side of how life works, if you ask me, is that you only get the test that you are the only one capable of handling. Yes, that's what my daughter always says. Right? So yes. What do I say? She says always that you get what you can carry. Yeah. You get what you can carry. You get the load you can carry. You get, Is you that get, you get, what you yeah, mean? You huh? get the yeah. load you can carry. Yeah. And, and for in an interesting way, were you the youngest uh, yes. sister? Yes. In an interesting way, it seems that the universe eventually said, someone has to take him on. Yes. So that is what I believe. Yeah. So she, you're, you're the one that comes with the configuration hmm, that is able to hold on to your dad's arm when he's hurting your sister, knowing that you're going to be hurt. Mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're the one that comes with the configuration that is able to go and study criminal law as a woman, because it's the only place that will accept you to study law. Mm -hmm. hmm, because you have that thing of like, yeah, life is shit, but I'm going to do something about it. And then you come along. <laughs> yeah. And then you Let's come along, you girl. You're just going to do it. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. No, but, but, you, but, you, yeah. but you then come, come um, I mean, can, can I ask you if, what your memories of those times are? Were you, because you, you come across to me as sort of a beacon of light. Like you're telling everyone in the world on your Instagram and your shows and so on, live fully, be yourself. Uh, don't don't be scared of others' opinions. Just mm -hmm. be there. Mm -hmm. How do you become like that when you grow up in a place like this? Well, I think it helps that I saw my mother do everything and everybody's still uh, being very judgmental. And I see something completely different. Also, if you see the people that I grew up around, um, they were all the colors of the world. Mm -hmm. And everybody can think very easily in black and white, huh? That's, mm. that's very easy. But 
I don't want to bring up Fifty Shades of Grey, but the world is... <laughs> good, good thing to bring up, to, to ease the conversation here. The world is Fifty Shades of Grey, you know? Nothing is the way you think. It's never black and white, so... But it all starts with knowledge. Yeah, it but also with, a, with, a, with, a, with, with, you know, I'm, I'm not the most gifted person in learning. I can do everything a little bit, but... I think seeing people for who they are, even if they're damaged and that makes them the way they are, um, and accepting that is one of the biggest gifts you can get. Because even somebody who's abusive sometimes is abusive because of a reason. And yeah. then he, they've been abused. Or, yeah, yeah, they've yeah. been abused and they haven't healed themselves. And it's it takes a lot of courage to heal yourself. It's the, one of the most painful things doing mm. it, uh, I think. So, you know, it's okay if people don't do that. It's a choice if you stick around, around those people. Mm. It's very hard sometimes to leave. I know that you know that I know, that's that's true as well. So I think I'm very lucky to have seen that life isn't a piece of cake. You can make a lot of cakes, but still, it's not a piece of cake, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think that's my biggest gift that I got from all this and growing up in it. I think my mother protected me in the right way. I saw, I've I've seen some things I wish I hadn't seen. I, I've I've been to funerals I wish I haven't been to. Um, losing somebody in a way by getting shot is a unnatural and un um, disrespectful. Yeah, but it's un also comprehensible. Yeah, yeah, but you also don't fully understand it in the energy. It's it doesn't add up. You know, if somebody just goes out like a candle, it's natural. But if if somebody's in the f full energy of his life and gets ripped out, that does something to everybody around it. I know. Yeah. Kiss a wrinkle. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, it's, but it also gives me the thirst of living life to the fullest. Sometimes almost in a manic way that I'm like, fuck it, I'm just going to do everything and I want to reach it all and da, da, da. And then I've, I've, I've reached a couple of goals and then you come to the point and you're like, so I, now I have enough money to pay my mortgage. I have the, the the amounts that I would like to have in my work of, the, you know, I did that show, I did that, and I still don't feel different. Mm. Well, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why, yeah. that's why, to be honest, Mo, that is one of the reasons why I'm so happy that Carlo suggested this conversation. Mm. Because now... Mm. Here we go. <laughs> because now <laughs> I can force her mm -hmm. to... Read your book. So what I do is... Uh, she, why, why, why read the book? The private tutor is here. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> no. But, but, but still, it's, it's, I read a lot about um, psychology. I read a lot, of, a lot of things to try and develop myself to be a better person. Not necessarily to be a better person, but to, to live well with myself and not be a nuisance to other persons. So... I don't even strive for being a better person. I just want to be a person that doesn't do anybody else wrong. Wow. If that is possible. Wow. So if that is the goal, you don't have to try too much. You don't have to, you just have to stick to yourself. You know, you just have to think about the things you do and why you do them so that you don't have excesses. You know, you don't do things because you want, you want to feel better and with that hurting somebody else. So that's, that's my main goal. So I'm a mother and I see my daughter grow. 
in these circumstances, well, you, you must imagine that at one point I asked, I told her, I, I asked her permission. I said, because the situation got so out of hand, he was, my brother was intending to already gave the assignment to kill my sister. I have it taped. I have the conversation taped. That's something I have to tell about too, because I thought we were, we would talk about truth as well. You know, we will. We will. So he said to me with his cold corporate way, I already gave the assignment. Like in a, we call it a bazin, like in a sentence mm. between other sentences. Like, I already, I already it's gave just the assignment. Just part of doing business. Just part of doing business. Just part of the And this sister of him did everything for him. Everything. She did his laundry. Always. Always. She ironed his clothes. Always. She did everything. Took his medication. Uh, went for him to the doctor. Went. She did everything. Because that was the standard within our family. We did everything for him. And then I was at a point when he said that, that I was like, I, I cannot live with this anymore. I cannot live with this. I'm going to kill him because I have to take the evil out. He is a cancer that has to be removed. So I was really ready to do that. And I, um, I already had it prepared. Mm. I think I'm going to shoot you. I'm the only one because killing someone is not that easy. I mean, I have a lot of files that I already studied with a lot of murders, but it's not easy. The main thing you have to have, and that is what one thing he learned me, because that is how we lived, is a time and a place. If you have a time and a place, then you can kill someone. Hmm. Otherwise, you can't kill him. Where is he? That's what he asked me all the time. Hmm. At what time is he there? Even if you know where he is, but at what time is he there? So that's also how I survive. Time and place. Nobody knows time. Nobody knows place. Nobody knows how I look. So... At that point, I was like, I have time because I can see you at any moment of the day. And I have a place because I can meet you. I see you every day. You come to my house multiple times a day. And I was like, I am really going to kill you. So then I, that morning I went to my sister because we were, I having, I had pain in my legs all the time. My, my calves, calves were hurting me so much. And I went to this physiotherapist and he said to me, go lie down. And he said, what are you up to? And I'm like, oh God, how can he know? And he said, do you know that your calves are your second heart? Hmm. And I think you're about to do something you don't want. Wow. And I'm like, this is not happening. And I'm like, is he a cop? Did he eavesdrop on me? Yeah. Am I in trouble now? <laughs> Am I? And I'm like, and he said, why are you doing everything for everybody else? Maybe you should try and think about you. And I'm like, I, this was the first appointment with this man. I never saw him before. And that's what he told me. And I'm like, I was trying to get out of there. I thought, I have to leave here because this is not normal. But when I left the room, I thought, I'm not going to kill him. Because it wasn't a good idea. Because before I made up my mind, I went to Mill and I said, I'm going to kill him. This is the end. I can't do it anymore. And she said, if you're going to do that, I don't want to know you anymore because I don't want to mother that is a killer. Well, that's the very short version of it. But it's <laughs> let, let me hear the long one. Well, I don't think you should 
I know I don't know my mother as an evil person. I know my Absolutely mother not. as a as a damaged person. So I said, if you but do, I also um, know how to solve problems. Yeah, but so I said, <laughs> if you are going to do this, you will be exactly the same as him. Good and point. This is not how I know you. How I want to remember you. You're not evil, and I know it's it's the easy route, but you'll regret it the rest of your life. And apart from that. I know you can do better than this. It maybe is a harder route to take. And in retrospective, sometimes I've cursed myself, of course, that I said it because (laughs) it's it's been hard. (laughs) But on the other hand, what I, you, you know, therapy is hard. Doing the right thing often is harder than doing the wrong thing. And I'm still very proud every day of the route she took that no, we that, took that together all, that all implies that we have choices every day yeah. but i don't think the most things we do and that's what i read in your books the most things we we don't even realize why they why we do that i mean for now i have been uh, after this whole procedure i first had my books to write i could be in a flow i could not be on this earth you know mm. that was good mm. it was hurtful because it it, it hurt a lot because after I wrote Judas, I wrote another book that was about, it's not translated, but it was about how the police and the safety security system works in the Netherlands and how our experience are with that. That's a nightmare. So we had that nightmare and then we had the court case itself. And I wrote, and I tried with the psychotherapist to analyze my brother because I couldn't testify against him. Every time I was there, I couldn't speak. Why? I couldn't betray him. So I was in the courtroom with him, sitting in a separate cabin, because he, we would talk to each other nonverbal. We had a nonverbal communication developed since the Heineken foreign kidnapping that only we understood. So he would have to do blink or roll with his eyes or do this or this with his hands. And it would give me whole sentences. So I would immediately know what I had to do, what I had to do for him and what I did not have to do. So I was very afraid to look at him because I knew he would gesture me and nobody would notice. So he would tell me a story with his hands and with his eyes and with his whole body that only I could understand, but what really frightened me. So they put us in a cabin so he couldn't see us. Um, But I had to hear his voice. And every time I was there, I felt like this child. Afraid. Afraid. So afraid, but also uh, a traitor. And he would cough all the time when she would talk. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was like everything he does just, it, 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 to it manipulate. was, it was, yeah. So I couldn't, I couldn't speak. Every time I said two or three bad things, I thought, I felt sorry for him. I really felt sorry for him. I thought, what am I doing? What am I doing? Do you still feel that way? Judas is such an interesting name to choose. I know. Um, let me tell you what changed it. And that was just recently because we just recently had the verdict. And all of this, I was, you know, the things I feel, but only when I start reading books, I see why, you know, why do I feel this? And your book is one of the, um, the catalyst, catalysts in that. Uh, so I'm very grateful for your book. So what happened is that my mother passed away three and a half months ago. And we were very close. And all the time I looked at my brother as the damaged child that he was, that he has been all his life. So I could forgive him. I could forgive him every day. 
I could understand him. I knew why he did it. I always said that if he if he would have been a girl, he would have been me. But if I would have been a boy, I would have been him. Oh my God, that statement gets my heart every time. Because that is, and that is how I feel. But now my mother is gone. He's not a child anymore. And for the first time in my life, I see him as the adult. And I see the things that he do as choices. He's not the kid anymore. So this, the passing of my mother was necessary for me to go on because he had so many chances in life. He is imprisoned by the third time now, and he had chances to do it right, but he chose the wrong path deliberately every time. Because as I know, people can change. And, and that's why I think the wisdom that reaches us through the internet and is so important. Every time when I feel something now or, or uh, in an interaction, I, something pops up, I'm like, take the space between the thought and the emotion and then think, why? Why is this feeling coming? So yeah. now for the first time, I think I can sort of control my thoughts and therefore can control my emotions or maybe not control because that that's like that's like as if it's an activity it's more like you can send the right signal to your emotions if you have the right thought so but that is only because that's absolutely true yeah but that is only because i believe you in what you're writing you know <laughs> i had this has been an old trajectory for me um because i went to university i know how important science is and of course, law is not even a science. No, it's not. No, it's not. I know. Mm. So, and they tell us many times. So, I know. But is happiness a science? The way you tell it in the form of an equation, it is something that is predictable. It is I, predictable. I think it is. Like the... It's a complex science. Like... The pendulum, gravity. Gravity. Yeah. You know? So, with all the other emotions you describe, my fear... Every day now I'm inside, like yesterday I thought, let's go get something to eat with this Chinese restaurant. And I'm like, okay, fear. If I go out, future fear, I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know if, if, it's going to, um, if I'm going to die. I don't know if somebody's waiting for me. But I know I'm not afraid if I'm in the house. So mm. I think I choose for the house because tomorrow I have this conversation. And I would really like to have the conversation. So I know where the fear comes from. I know how to talk to the fear and then make a decision which I can live best with. So I don't feel ruled by fear anymore. I just do what is best for me at that time. If, 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 if you took all that you know now, would you have testified more openly against him? Would you have not feared him then? Um, would you have changed your mind? Yes. I think if I read this book, I don't know if I, like, it's like words don't teach, huh? We mm. know words don't teach. It's like with her, I always say to her, you hear me, but you don't understand me. 
Yeah. Is that true? <laughs> I'm back being a child again. <laughs> it's like yeah. It's so now, so now I got you've, more you've on been, my you've side. Been totally, you've been totally <laughs> absorbed in the conversation so far. I, did yeah. you did you just hear? Or I felt you understood, <laughs> mommy. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, that is the whole process coming here. So that is so. I mean, we're not able to have normal contact because I can't go to a restaurant with her. Uh, I describe in my other book, I describe a situation. We both go to the beach and it took me like four hours to get there because I never drive a normal route. We call it laundry routes. Mm-hmm. You know, you launder your, <laughs> your, yeah, your footsteps. Yeah, your you, footsteps yeah. before you're somewhere. Mm. So nobody knows where you are. Mm. So it took me four hours to get there and she's on the but beach you have, here. You have four hours. Of mm. course. Mm-hmm. Time, time mm. is the greatest mm. gift my brother gave to me. Thank you. Wow. So with that time, well, maybe I can also change, make a change. You in, have already. In, in other people's lives. You have already, Astrid. So she was on the beach with the Astrid, kids. Astrid, I'm, I'm going to stop you here. Yeah. How many, how many lives did you save? Have you ever counted that? Um, no, but this is, this is an important moment to say something. Uh, I'm quite enjoying myself, by the way, because this is like a spectacle. I'm just watching a play. Okay, okay. Okay. Because it's going to get you serious can't. now, so I just wanted to drop it down. Okay, thank you. Until now, it was very no, enjoyable. That, yeah. that, you know, I've done something. I finished what other people started. Because there were people that testified against him that were killed for that reason. We have Mr. Enstra. We have Thomas van der Bijl. We have, we have Case Houghton. They were all testifying against him in uh, secrecy. So nobody knew. And they died because of it. Um, we have Peter de Vries. He recently died for trying to help other people. But yeah. he also was one of the first people that stood up against my brother. So I finished what they started. And because um, they were victimized by the way they testified it, I did a different way and I taped him. So what he did is he convicted himself because it was his own words that put the trigger for him. So... I know that truth is something that is very subjective. And I know that truth is very difficult to uh, to tell. And for God's sake, we have a judicial system in which uh, judges are trained people. We don't have a jury. So we don't have to rely on people that are, you know, influenced or whatever. We have these judges. And they are feel rather safe than sorry. So they will always let somebody off the hook if they are not very sure. I know because I did it many, many, many times. Many times my client did it but was not convicted because the judge want to be sure. So we have the safety of this system. So I knew if if they didn't hear him speak, if they didn't get to know him by his verbal abuse, by the things he says about his victims, by the things he says about his future victims, then they would never believe me. So in fact, he um, pulled the trigger on himself. But that was only because I learned from the other ones that were killed before me. So 
it's not just me that is courageous, as you say. It's also them. And I wanted to give them a monument, you know, and I wanted to do that uh, after the verdict. But I was, I couldn't move. I was, I had to lay down so I couldn't go there. But this gives me the opportunity to do it. So, Which uh, I think, I, I think they're definitely worse. I think everyone that stands up, that stands against injustice, deserves that monument. I think that yeah. the, the truth is, um, most interestingly in my, in my view, even though you look at what you've done today, none of it, interestingly, you've done for yourself. Um, you've always done it for your sister, for your niece, for your nephews, for your for the other victims, for... But in the end, you... Like, if I go to the end of your book, the best way to be happy is to give. <laughs> that is so, isn't it? Spot on. So, I'm happy giving. And it it was only for the moment, not so long ago, that I I, I don't have contact with people. So, this is like going to Disney World for me. I'm meeting people. <laughs> Come every time, please. <laughs> meeting people. You know, this is like with my books, I had interviews. I didn't do interviews with, I did, did some interviews and it was like, finally, I have somebody to talk to. And when my mother died, I was very, very sad. And at that time, somebody sent me a message. He was at the office of Peter de Vries when he sent me this message with a beautiful text. And I met him maybe two, three times, but I felt a good energy with him. And, and then I said, maybe, I think if you, and, and I wrote to him, like, if you're in trouble, you can always rely on me. Because that is what I felt when he sent that message. I can't even remember what he said. And so we met, which I never do. But then when we met, we started talking and when he entered the room, he was like, well, totally numb. I mean, life had beaten him up. And we started talking. And I thought he was on my path because my mother said, if you're going to help him, just feel how it feels if you people, if you help somebody else. And in helping him, I helped myself because I didn't think about my mother all the time. And I started to feel better about myself again, you know? Mm. I thought I have value. I, I, I still have value because when I was a lawyer, I could help people. You know, I had an identity. I was somebody. I could give them something. As a writer, I could give people something but couldn't communicate with them. And in this, in this way, I communicated with him and he, well, he flourished. He flourished and I flourished. So helping, giving, as you call it in your, your book, is the only way to heal yourself as well. So, so to me, it's not, um, it's, it's the greatest benefit I get. To be able to help others. Yeah. So, and if you look at the universe, I mean, I'm, I'm a true believer in the universe. Mm -hmm. um, what my brother gave to me was the time, as I told you, the time and the loneliness that forced me to slow down. Like, she's not going to slow down for a while now. So that is why I think the book is so important. 
for this generation. Not for me. For me, it's it's the puzzle that fits together, you know. And in 10 years, I will read it differently. I'm sure of that. And all the books I've read already, I will read differently because of your book. But she, <laughs> she, she, she is 37. She's she, like mother-daughter she's therapy. Like, she's like, she's like, yeah. read it, Mel. What? Read it. Read, I will read. She sent me all the pages, arched. So I've read, I've read, I've read the blink green, list version green, of it. Green, green, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, highlighted. So what, what, everything what kind, is highlighted. What kinds of conversations? What are the points that we talk about? We yeah. talk about everything. Yeah, yeah. It's it's from uh, children to business to nature to cooking, cooking to, to, food, uh, to relationships. Everything we talk about, and you know. I'm smirking a bit here because sitting here is like, mom, I'm so overwhelmed. I have this talk with Mokodot next week and I just don't know. Can you read the books for me? And then I said, uh, yeah, I'm going to do this podcast with him, but I don't know. I don't think I'm good. And she said, I'm like, it's like, but yeah, you need to join as well. She said, no, I'm not going to join. And she goes like off the wall every no, time. Um, and I didn't, I, I didn't knew if she was really coming until she was here, you know, that's I, how, I, I, it, how I it goes. Either, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> it's like, for me, a big win because I just wanted to be the glue today. You guys need to talk to each no, other. No, the You're, thing is that, that for me, it's a chance to talk to somebody, of course, but no, it's not, also not a chance. Only thing. I, mm -hmm. I really do think your book uh, uh, is of real importance. That I'm, is why I'm, I'm here. I'm so grateful. I think your book is incredible. Yeah, but that's a different book. But so I mean, this... It's, it, is, it is and it isn't. Can I say? But say you yeah, so I, I read uh, two years or a year back the book of Edith A. Her, Dr. Yeah. Edith A. And oh, I, uh, yeah, my yeah, thank God, you. you did a podcast woman. with yeah. her. I saw that yeah. woman. Oh yeah. my God, so, Edith. She's amazing. I, send, I love you, Edith. <laughs> I, send I, really my mom, do. I sent my mom the book and I told her, you need to read this. You need to make this. This is what, you know, you have yeah. so much to say. You need to make this. And then um, and then you come on my path. I, I'm, I'm somebody who believes in coincidence. Absolutely. You know, just things yeah. happen and it, it just happens. So, Serendipity. Yeah, so this yeah. happened. And, uh, then and then I will Carla, read your book. Carla was the one. Where's Carla? Yeah, in two weeks I have one. a holiday. I will take the books with me and I'll read them. But um, um, to me, it's, it's like... Yeah, this is exactly what she needed. I think you guys are on. Um, you but did it's, it. To me, it's exactly what you needed. Oh, because because let me tell. Yeah, her um, generation is like I did the same you did. I worked my ass off, and I tried to have all those material things to be safe. You yeah, know, of course. For my daughter to be safe. Same. And mm -hmm. she's doing the same. She's repeating history. And it's, of course, a path you have to take. There you go. Take a shortcut. If you have so much <laughs> Have you taken knowledge, a shortcut? Has anyone taken ever a I shortcut? I wish I could have taken a shortcut. Yeah. Uh, your uh, book has given me the chance to take the shortcut. I do think I'm I'm a bit faster because uh, yeah, wow. I, I'm less totally. damaged. So, mm -hmm. so I think I have, a, you know. That's a very interesting way of saying it. Less yeah. damaged. So damaged, but less. Yeah, yeah, very yeah, less. less. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so I think I'm very lucky in that way. And um, yeah, I, 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 I kind of tipped it on in this conversation. So you work really hard and then, you know, I... 
I I came from a divorce at the same time this happened. I had no money. I had no future foresight that it was going to be okay. And I pushed through and then at the end it happened and everything became what it is right now. And But then in the end, you still have the same feeling inside, which is weird, right? Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. So, I've, and my, it, it, my, it hurts my mom, of course, a lot to see how dark my days can get sometimes, you know, to, as a mother, that's really hard to see it with your kid. And I, I yeah. Sometimes I don't see her smile for a week mm-hmm. because it's so much, you know, and that is this generation also. It is so much. It's always all, all generations, but I mean, I think it's, it's, if you're saying that you can change the code of your brain, then you should start teaching somewhere. So why not start at her age? I mean, if we educate them well and we start early, I'm trying this with my granddaughter already. Like my granddaughter calls me and she says, Grandma, I can't sleep. I said, if you tell yourself you can't sleep, your brain thinks you can't sleep. Mm-hmm. So what do you tell yourself? She says, that I can sleep. I said, so tell your brain you can sleep because you can train your, and then she immediately says, brain. Mm-hmm. Because I do believe that when you start out with education early, that is also what we have to do with social media. We can't deny the things that are here. Yeah. We just have to give different input. Like you said, don't just put garbage in it. Yeah. Put value in it. You know, Don't put sugar in it. Put vitamins in it. Just, but you have to start. Sometimes I mean, if you a bit don't, of sugar, mom. Huh? Sometimes a, a, bit bit of of sugar, sugar. a bit of sugar. I think, yeah, I think that, um, you know, words don't teach, I know. But still, if you start early, you shouldn't give them a chance to miss out on it either. But you so also, you have you also, to be in their face with it. So, so when I when I wrote Soul for Happy, my first book, De Loge yeah. Kaffer Gluck, here in, in, the, in the Netherlands, uh, in um, in a very interesting way. So I, I always tell that story. I, I write like a software engineer. So I basically write books and then give them to people to edit uh, before I even, you know, I, I start editing them. And 8% of my readers dropped out of the first version of Solve for Happy at page 11. And on page 11, uh, those 8%, I trace back to the survey and they were the ones that were already depressed or already didn't believe in, in happiness as a value in their life. And you realize very quickly that the only time where we shoot through our happiness journey is when we make that choice. Yes. You have to make the choice first. You have to see what pain is all about. Yeah. I think you are very, very uh, well-versed on the topic. Yes. Uh, yeah. and, and then you choose. You, you go like, okay, I've gone through this now. I know how horrible it feels. Yeah. And I'm going to do something about it. That, that's when the learning starts. You know, if, if I, I'll tell you openly, if that little voice in your head came to you, you know, 12 years ago, you wouldn't have even read it. No. You, you would no. have, like you wouldn't Definitely. have stopped at the title, right? Exactly. And I think those experiences in life, interestingly, are what actually leads us to at the right moment, because there are no coincidences, read the right thing, and then it takes us there. So, but how, how can you train that? to do it earlier. No, but so I've, I've, of course, I've always reset myself to with every setback to just hustle through and see the right things and go on. But at a certain point, you accept, you no, you expect, not accept, you expect things to go easier. And at that point, you get disappointed. Mm. And then, 
it's usually, yeah. It's, but but what mm-hmm. if you just learn everybody is the simple tools you try to teach us in the end of your book? Why if you don't? I told you today or yesterday. I told you. I said I was eating with. My sister. My sister annoys me so much, so many times. <laughs> it's like we are day and night, uh-huh. you know? She read one book in her life, and she's proud of that. Mm-hmm. And I read, like... The Secret, right? Numerous, no, not even The Secret. <laughs> no, not The Secret. She read, like... Um, I thought that was a, child, a children's book, oh. and that was it. But I think, I mean, she doesn't need it. I'm jealous of her because she can be, you know, she's not thinking. Yes, And before I thought she was, because she was not thinking, she was dumb. But she's fucking happy because she's not thinking. Mm -hmm. So she's not annoyed by the little voice in her head. So something that annoys me, you know. (laughs) Because because your little voice picks on it. (laughs) Yes. So I want to pick on her. And like yesterday I said to myself, the space between the thought and the emotion. Yeah. And I tried to practice that. And it helped. Mm. So I see her picking on people around her sometimes, and I'm like, mostly me. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, and next time when you have a thought, take some time and see where the thought comes from. Maybe it's you it's can so be interesting. Gentle. It's so interesting that with all that this family has gone through, it's still mother and daughter. Yes, <laughs> yes. and a it's very amazing, safe really. place to practice all the things you feel and think. Yeah. So that's it. I, I love this love story in a way. I mean, the, you know, uh, your mom is in isolation, mm-hmm. doesn't meet people. Her life is threatened. She's targeted by the news and every, mm-hmm. everything. But she's just concerned that you're sometimes not happy. Yeah. I love that. I love <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. It's very, you know, I think it, that's the main concern of every parent. I love that so much. That is yeah. such a beautiful thing to see. Like, the, which I have to admit fathers hmm, we know we feel that but not like mothers mothers are like little vicious cats if something scratches your daughter hmm, yeah you're like i'm going to do something about it right and it's just quite interesting yeah i don't know, yeah? Yeah, it's, I, don't it's, know. I don't know it's a, if it's a mother i'm not a man and mm-hmm. i'm not a father so i don't know yeah but i do know that i am <clears throat> a person there's this big thing going on that we women bear the child, so we have more, etc. But you men produce the seed. I mean, why isn't that very important? Why do you no, not have not, a bond? It's not why that. is it so ordinary? No, it's not. It's made um, almost too simple for me. No, it's not, it's not that at if all. It's not for, if it's from your body, you know. It's not that at all. I love Ali and Aya more than life itself. I'll give my life. I was just telling Aya the other day. Yeah. Uh, two days ago. So what's the difference then between we, a mother? We, we choose to protect differently. The ma- the that masculine is... the masculine way is all about doing. The feminine way is all about nurturing. It's very very different as an approach. You you want life itself for your child as, as a feminine, yeah. uh, right? We want the practicalities. We you know the the masculine is all about. Can, I can do this. I can take that action. I don't have th- time to think about it. I don't have time to do this. I don't have time. Th- the, the masculine is very temporal. It's all about take action right now. Mm-hmm. There is a much more holistic side to the heart of a mother. It's so different. You know, l- the love is the same. The, the protection is the same in terms of intent. But the approach of a mother 
It's much more, I need to build an environment, like building a home. They call it nesting when you're Mm, about to mm -hmm. become a mother. You're you're attempting to build that environment where not only is your child safe, but your child will never actually suffer. You're trying to build that clean home that doesn't have a single insect in it. Mm -hmm. Because one insect might be risked for my child in 14 years time. Well, that's and that's that's also that comes with the mom guilt all the time. When you're somewhere else, you always feel like you, you know, you're not present enough, not doing enough, you oh know. And God. it's it's can, that's. Can I ask you a question? Yes. On If you had a mother yeah. that changed the world, yeah. I'm talking to her now, mm-hmm. uh, and um, I have that mother. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and uh, you know, saved so many lives mm-hmm. and gave her life as a price for that. Mm. Really, honestly. Mm-hmm. What would you want for her next? If you had the choice, anything anything that you want, what would you want next month to look like for her? In the afterlife? No, no, this life, next month. Next month? Yes. I, in the afterlife, this, this, this young lady is in a very good shape. Yeah. Okay, I think she's come to this world with a duty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She uh, came with, in, in gamers, uh, 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 you know, uh, language, she came to a legendary level of the game. Very, very complicated. Mm-hmm. From the second her game console started, everyone was shooting at her. Mm-hmm. Okay. And she won the level. So the, she's, I'll see you in heaven. Okay. Mm-hmm. But if there is. Uh, next month, what what would you want her life to look like in a month's time? Dream. Well, To me, I would love her to have all freedom, but in an in a way that she will be anonymous. Because I think the way she is programmed, it will never feel safe if everybody looks yeah. at her in the street. So, uh, but I would, she's quite attractive. So I would look at her. Yeah, on the streets, exactly. Actually, so yeah. Oh, it's so hard when guys say that about my mom. Uh, <laughs> I'm an old guy. I yeah, can say no, what I want. I remember the guy saying that on the street when I was next to her. She's quite attractive. I know she is. Yeah. And I'm gonna hit on you too. You look very similar. No, 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 no. Different show. And I would, I know that she loves to help people. So I would love for her to have a certain way to explore her, to to not explore, but teach her lessons that she has taught me in her way of living life. Um, and maybe by writing a book like Edith did or mm. how you did it. Uh, and I think that would give her a lot, a lot of fulfillment. Apart from that, I would wish more time uh, publicly for us together, more time with her grandchildren, you know, just being free. That's the only thing. Going I'm, to a Disney World or something. I haven't I, been. I, I take you to Disney World. No, no, no. I would one day. Yeah, it could maybe in the no. States, but yeah. I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell you how, but let's get to, to this in a minute. Yeah. So Edith Ager changed my life. If, if any of you guys have not heard that episode, you have to go back. I, I was did. weeping. Like that woman is incredible. Okay. And at the end of the episode, uh, she said something that really blew me away. She, she said, I have now kids, grandkids, grand, grandkids, and I'm about to have grand, grand, grandkids or something like that. And she basically said, what I meant, what I heard is in your face life, okay? This is this is me winning. This is me coming out of World War II mm. and going that far. 
Yeah. It was just such a beautiful statement. Yeah. Huh? But by having gone through all of the challenges, how it, she transformed her life. Now, I'm going to say something that I believe you, you may not be able to see because you're in the heart of the storm still. Mm. But life will move on. Do you realize that? Hmm? Yes, you, you're, you're now, what, five years in the trial? Seven. Seven, seven years in the trial. You know, when it's nine, 10, 11 years, things will change. Maybe tomorrow, you don't know, know, right? I, yeah. and, and I think that the, the real question is, as I sit in front of you, one of the most remarkable women I have ever been in the company of, I see you not thinking about that. I see you thinking about how did we get here, but not where we're going from here. And you're saying that we can change. Yeah, definitely. So, so what, what would you change if I told you in a month's time, we know the, we know the dream, okay? Uh, what is achievable, do you think? I have to get back to the course of life because it's always the trajectory that trajectory you're on. Trajectory is a good, yeah. Even though life surprises us sometimes. Yes. Um, but I never mind surprises. Yeah, surprises are beautiful. Because, you know, it's not that I, every time that there's a disappointment, I could always see the advantage. So yeah. I'm, if that is something that I'm blessed with, it is the fact that I don't see the glass half empty. I always see it half full. I always see opportunities. Um, like, for example, if I wouldn't have been in this trial, I wouldn't have to slow down. I wouldn't have to deal with myself, which is something to deal with. I wouldn't have to deal <laughs> with that little voice in my head. So I wouldn't have been where I'm now. So I think that is the growth. I only need growth. I mean, I don't even know where to grow to. As long as it is growth, it doesn't harm people. And maybe if I'm lucky, it even helps other, other people forwards. I have everything. I mean, oh it doesn't. Oh my God! It do, maybe you don't listen to that statement. But I, I have, have everything. I have everything. I do. I have. I love her. A place to live, and um, I have transportation. I have a beautiful daughter, beautiful grandchildren, a beautiful sister, beautiful niece, nephew. I have the people that are my core. At my core, I love them to death, and I have all this information coming to me that are that is showing me the way. I mean, I never have to be worried again, you know, even mm. with death. And that is, that is one of the reasons I also was very interested in a conversation with you because death is really has been a topic for me. Mm. And I know it is for you. I don't see death as death. I see death as transition. Absolutely. Level two. So, I mean... That is why it's not that my mother is gone. I have been um, in agony because I was, lately I was so lonely. I couldn't cope with the loneliness anymore. And at one point I had to take care of my mother 24 hours a day, the last few months. And I was very happy because she was with me and I wasn't alone. And we would sit on the couch and look Grace and Frankie all the time. <laughs> so... And then she left and I, I was afraid to go back to my house because of all the memories that were there. We ate, we left. She couldn't get up the stairs, so I had to push her and we'd laugh so hard. <laughs> so we had a blast, you know, we had a blast. Because I had sometimes a really troublesome relationship with my mother, but because of writing the books, I always involved her. We spoke about everything. 
the book was the alibi to get her psychotherapy with her. So we went through all of that. And in the end, she could, what, what sticked around was we played basketball together. Oh. We had the same talent. We worked at the market together. So we had, you know, the same energy. We had the same. And she had one thing that I could learn from her, and that was acceptance. That is what you write about in your book. My mother is, my mother equals acceptance. Yeah. So that is the thing I had to learn from her as a last lesson. So now I accepted that she's gone because she's not gone. She's in the house all the time. Yes. I talk to her all day. Yeah. She gives me advice. She tells me what to do. And I'm not lonely anymore. So mm. she's gone, but I'm not lonely anymore. While when she was in the other house and I couldn't get to her because I couldn't get to her house because of safety issues, I was very, very, very lonely. I felt so alone because I couldn't reach her. I can do anything for her, you know. And if I went to her, it was danger. I would take the danger to her. I would be in danger. So I felt so miserable, so alone. Then I had the time to get it with her. She died in my arms. Hmm. You know, I could, I waited for her breathing to go down. So my sister and I held her when she took her last breath with her daughters. That meant so much for her. We, you know, we dressed her. We, we did everything. We made her beautiful. And she gave me that. She gave me and my brother also gave me that. Because I, if I would have been a lawyer, I could never have taken care of my mother that way. I could never have spent the nights with her when, while she was sick. And I was spraying her mouth because she was so thirsty. I never would have witnessed her dying. I never would have spoken to this death coach, I mean. You know, I, I, I call her because I didn't know how to deal with death. In a normal way. In a normal way. I've seen people being shot, of course. But there was like this, and it's gone. But I didn't see somebody decay, you know? Mm. I didn't see somebody go out as a candle. So, and that seeing confronted me with my own death and with her death and with, you know, everything. So I had to see what is death for me. This woman taught me, and I strongly believe in that. Uh, I don't see that. She doesn't see that. But it's to her, this woman taught me, like it's the... Also, the survival of the species. So it's just part of our lives. And that's why yeah. we don't, as a person, don't mind to die. Because it's, it's part just of part of life. It's part of living. And it's part of the universe. So, so I think it's, for me, it was very interesting to, um, yeah, that is, that is some topic you helped me through as well. But the how, way you dealt with it. How yes. is how is that for you? Because you lost your son. I never lost my son. I lost my son's body. Yeah. There's a very big difference. I, it's very difficult in a society today where religion and spirituality are intermixed in a way that sometimes taints an understanding of the spiritual world. Mm-hmm. And where where we have become so based on the scientific method, we've we've only accepted that only what we me- what we can see and measure exists, when in reality there is so much mm-hmm. that exists that we don't see and measure. I mean, do you feel how much I love Astrid, right? Mm-hmm. You can't see it and, me- and measure it. You can feel it, right? And love is real. So is life. Life is real. Life, 
life in the physical form is just one simple part of us okay and and you know and and it is honestly the more you grow in your spiritual journey the more you realize that life in the physical form is probably the smallest part of us that you know the, the, those connections between us those reflections on what's beyond just the physical is actually what why we're here mm-hmm. it's probably the bigger part of why we're here and when you when you see it that way you realize that my son's body decayed but Aya and I were uh, you know uh, sitting outside a couple of days ago it was his anniversary his uh, um, eight years now uh, in, on July fourth uh, and he um, and he sort of visited played music for us you know we 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 have him around us all the time and I know it sounds weird for a scientist like myself to say that but there are un missable patterns you, mm-hmm. you you can see that he's engaged and you can see that he has the same sense of humor you know fat hobbit as he used to call me <laughs> right and you know it's just really weird when you when you open yourself actually again by the way that's part of the feminine if you yeah. open your feminine side to perceive to receive not to think hmm? you can feel them around us all the time but was this the way you dealt with it right away Or did you have to go through a process to get to this point? So, so my spiritual upbringing in an Islamic culture and then my, uh, my very, very serious research in, in, in religions in general, I, I've studied almost everything I could mm-hmm. get, get my hands on, gives you a very interesting understanding of death that I had before Ali left, mm-hmm. right? But that was an understanding mm-hmm. that, that was up here in my head, okay? And I remember... Uh, vividly his mother most incredible woman alive i think uh when she uh when ali left our world he was in the intensive care room and uh, of course the doctors told me first and so uh, nibel is the most fragile beautiful flower on the planet who is also the strongest i mean probably you know your level of strength i would say both of you And and she she said so I went out and I said baby I don't think he's gonna make it and she said take me to him and I said I don't think that's a that's the last image you want to see of him and she said in very very assertive words take me to see him she walked into the intensive care room and she said she she kissed him on his forehead and in um, in very um, very confident words. She said, Habibi, you are finally home. Habibi, you're finally home. Habibi is my love in Arabic. And she said, you're finally home. And I looked at her and she said, he was never made for here. This this game. Hmm? He basically came to play this game as long as he needed to, to deliver what he has actually now delivered, if you think about it to teach us, to make us love him, and then to leave. Because when he leaves, he triggers something. And I think in an interesting way, when she said that, I started to settle in my understanding that, yeah, he's home. We're the ones that are not. Do, do you understand that? Yeah, I completely do. And, and when you see this, you start to understand why life is sometimes so freaking difficult. Well, it's. I think it's... Um believing that there's something bigger, greater uh, beyond us is not so difficult to assume 
since so many people do that. Yeah. I mean, we all have an understanding about, but I know she's here. I know she's there. I mean, yeah. lots of things happen all day. We have an app. We call it the Granny app. Mm. And we still send her messages. We still oh, send her the, the photographs of her. She sends her photos. I send her photos. I photo of us and messages or when something happens, we tell her. So she's, she's just part of our lives. I mean, and, and to me, it is so essential that death takes a different role also in her life. Because I know that I will not, you know, I don't know, I cannot estimate, nobody can estimate how long they will live. But when yes. I'm gone, or if I'm gone, then I would like her to have the, um, well, the feeling or the intuition or the, you know, the, the, the knowledge that I'm still there. I'm not gone. My mother's is, her, her role is even bigger now. She showed me in three and a half months yeah. so much more. Than what she showed you in a lifetime. Than what she showed me in a lifetime. Yeah. And, you know, before she went, um, and I really took care of her 24 hours a day. And before she went, she told me, I, I asked her, please, mom, come back now and then because I really need you. And then she said, and she was, at that time she was dying, you know? So her mind was already, her brain was already taken over by, you know, um, less oxygen, less blood. Less. But she said, I will be there every day. Yeah. I come to you every day. Yeah. And she's done that. I mean, and well, people can say you're crazy, but... Oh, not at all. That is a feeling. And I don't think that we have um, invented the afterlife or invented for capitalistic reasons. <laughs> I mean, I do no, think no, no. church can be oppression. <laughs> mm -hmm. But this is something pure that that was there for how long do we know it? I mean, at first it was signs of nature. It was, but it's there. We feel it as people. But we are so far away from our connection to nature and connection with what real life is that we all think that is all capitalistic tricks. And um, the church, of course, has become a capitalistic trick sometimes. Mm -hmm. But in essence, we know we're, we're not going to leave. We leave Earth, but we're not or this world, but we're not going to leave. Because yeah, energy totally. doesn't get lost. I, I think the, the, the way I normally think about it is you go into a movie theater or a dark room or you switch on the TV and for a while, all you can see is the, is the big screen, right? You are so absorbed in it. You don't think that there is anything outside the cinema. You, you think that this whole, that, that the entire thing is just what's playing on the screen. Yeah. And then the movie ends and you switch on the light and you go like, oh my God, there's a whole world here. Right? Yeah. And many, many people who have, you know, experienced a near-death experience. I, I had one of those. I wrote about it in Soul for Happy. We'll tell you openly this. It's and just we have a, this, this, this Dutch, this Dutch um, cardiologue. Mm -hmm. He also... Um, yeah, Pim he, Ben Lemmel. Yes. Oh, I hosted Pim. An unbelievable human being. Yeah, yeah, because he has the experience of people dying under his hands and coming back to life again. So yeah. he wrote about it. I, I, I was reading about those things because my mother, uh, before she left, she had 
a near-death experience twice. <laughs> yeah. So the first time, and that's why my mother was afraid to die alone at night. Mm. Because she didn't want to die alone in her sleep. Uh, yeah. Because uh, she wouldn't be aware of what was happening. She mm-hmm. would like to have control. So mm-hmm. then she got sick and she got sick. And at one point she was so sick that, um, and she recovered. And then she said to me, I saw a man with a red, uh, we call it a mutz, how you call it in English? A little head, knitted head. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. a red head. Yeah. And she said, and he was telling me to come, you know, waving his hand and, and not waving, but yeah. calling her. Like, How do you call it when you make this movement in English? Come towards come me. Come towards me. And she said, and I saw him there and I was like, okay, I'm coming. And she was swimming. She said, but I was not swimming in water. I was swimming in air. Mm. And it felt so peaceful. Yeah. I haven't felt this good ever. She said, and I was swimming. And I want to go to him. And then you were there. And you said, Mama, come. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and she said, that's when he went. But she also saw a little angel sliding away. So she had this whole experience already. And she had peace with death. Mm. So, she, so she was used to death. But meanwhile, I got used to her death. So that's what she... I think she, that was the process. That is what she taught me. So I think case. that was the process. So, and then afterwards, well, as, as I, you know, I... I strongly believe I haven't as learned as much since she died as yeah a long time. Can I can I ask you if life is so hard for a reason? Like you you said so beautifully hmm, that the death of your mother taught you so much that you know facing this taught you so much that being alone uh, you know in isolation is a benefit is an upside. Okay, there always seems to be a reason. Why is Vim behind bars? Oh my God, I don't know. I really, there's so many things I could think of, but why is he behind bars? Maybe to show me, and it's not just for me. It come, what does it show him? What does it tell him? I mean, what does it tell him? I don't know. Maybe you know. I think you do. I think he he never he chose never to grow, Mom. I think he chose never to change. I think he chose to follow his pain and the easy way of that route and just always try to be the strongest one by being the the most mean no, biggest I think he's one. A, I think he's he's is if if your brain is a computer then he's a malfunction. When mm, mm, I often said if my mother when he was born, she should have bitten him to death because that is what animals do. When you have a mutant, they kill it. That is what a mother does. Mm-hmm. And I think he's, he's, because it's not that he doesn't have pain. He has a lot of pain. You cannot, I cannot believe that he doesn't feel pain. I mean, many people tell me he doesn't feel pain because he has no That, that means he feels a lot of pain. But I think he feels a lot of pain. And I think what is... But if you feel a lot of pain, then you are able to change, right? Uh, he, no. He's changing, I think, in the way that he allows himself to, you know, to, to change. So, you know, in, in, his, in his mind, you know, if I feel pain because core is annoying me, then I'll kill core. Yeah. yeah. But then so he does feel pain, after, but he doesn't look into himself. So there's no introspection. So, so why, is he, why is he behind bars? Because he can't look at himself. I'm just referring back in my closing remarks, if I may say, Your Honor. 
I'm just referring back to Judas. Because I'd rather think of you as the Holy Spirit. Didn't get that. You're not the one that betrayed him. You're the one that supported him. Because if he, is, he was ever to find a path through the next level with peace, wasn't going to be out here killing more people. No, definitely. That's Definitely true. not. If everything happens for a reason, mm -hmm. and we all resist so much, we all get angry. Like, how could Astrid do this to me? Uh, you know, how can I find a way to rebel against this fate that I'm in? How can I, how can I change this? Because this is not what I wanted from life. And then eventually, we all sit back and say, wow, I needed this. Mm -hmm. I needed to hold my mom for three and a half months. I needed my daughter to tell me not to kill him. I needed this. I needed that because it made me who I am. And because you're so giving, you always try to tell yourself, I want to do more with my life. I want to give more. And I wish I found a way for him to reform and be better without having to put him behind bars. But between you and I, you are behind bars too. Yes, I know. Yes and no. I am, my body is behind bars, but my spirit is not. I hope he gets there too. I hope so too. That is, if, if there's something I, I'd really want for him, that's, that he could go there. That's why often I, sometimes I hope he dies. Not because I'm angry with him. Not because um, he could harm me, but just so he could find peace. We only die when we've done what we came here to do. So he needs to, if he ever hears us, to reflect on how life put him where, he, where it put him. Why? Why is a very good question. I think if he would, yeah, that's why. Because if it will empower him to be as good as he is bad, then he would be holy. So if that is, I mean, if that is something that could happen, that would be my greatest gift. I think I would finish here. Uh, I'll have you back. I, I enjoyed myself so much. Thank you. Uh, I am beyond honored. I have rarely ever felt so inspired, ever. And I meet a lot of inspiring people. A lot of inspiring people. I have never, ever seen anyone. I always tell my wonderful daughter, Aya, uh, that um, it's not about how far you go in life. It's about how far you go from where you started. And I've never in my life seen anyone, anyone who's had such a bad hand at the beginning. You were dealt the worst hand ever. At least the worst I can imagine. And look at what you turned it into. I'm going to thank all of you for having joined me today, because as I always tell you, it is only possible for me to get so inspired because you listen to this podcast. So um, I'm going to leave everyone with the task. I need, need to take Astrid to Disneyland. So <laughs> t tell me, tell me how I'm going to do that. Send me ideas. I need to find a way. And, uh, and yeah. I'm not going to say anything other than go back and listen to this. Go back. And if there is anything wrong with your life, go back and understand how wrong life can go.
because even then you can become Astrid. Even then you can become Mayushka. I love you all for listening and I will hear you and see you next time.